Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. I think it's just what God is saying right now. And it's, it just echoes Jesus, his prayer from just before. He is, you know, I talked about it last week. If you weren't here, you can go to our website and listen to the podcast from last week. But there are just two things that basically Jesus said. Love God, love one another. Amen. Right? All of the law and the prophets hangs on those two things. So I don't have time to re-preach the whole message again, but I feel like that that's where we're going as this body, but that's also where God wants the body to go. You know, is that, yes, we need to rightly divide the word of truth. We need to teach properly. We need to have proper theology. I, I get all that. I'm a teacher. I love it. I, I'm nitpicky about getting things in proper new covenant perspective. But what Jesus said, what actually reached the world, when he gave a formula, right? He never, he never said when you teach it the right way. I mean, he did say truth will set you free, but as, that's for you. But as far as reaching the world, there was only one thing, and that was love. Amen. He said our love for one another will be a sign to the world that we follow Jesus. And then in John 17, he prayed, I pray, Father, that they're one as you and I are one, and I'm in them, and you're in me, and I'm in them, so that the world will believe. And then if you go through and you study all the teachings of how to actually reach the world, that's the only formula that we have is us loving one another and uniting together toward the world in love. Y'all a bunch of hippie church over there and walking in. No, you know what I mean? It's like it's not just that it's that simple. We're not trying to oversimplify, we're just looking at what will actually work. You know, it's, it's, it's what will cause the divisions that we have in church and all the other divisions to slip away, right? If you watch the media, you listen about this election that's happening, you look at what's going on in different cultures, that stuff will never heal until we, as believers in the body of Christ, Look past that stuff. Yes, there have been horrific injustices that have happened to different people groups all throughout the ages. You know, I said last week, I understand a guy that has read the whole national anthem and disagrees about what happened to his particular people group and he's trying to express how he feels and it's clunky and it doesn't make sense and we get offended. I get it. He's got, he's got a legitimate complaint. But is patriotism more important or is unity in the body of Christ more important? Amen. You know what I'm saying? We're getting offended at the wrong things. Amen. Amen. Amen? Go back and listen to that from last week. I mean, it's true that it's the only thing we have is love. The world will look at us and know that we are followers of him when we love each other. And then as we unite together. So I, I love that they stole my message and preached it in this gigantic international conference, you know. <laughs> no, I just, it's just what God is saying right now, right? It's not me. It's not them. It's Jesus Amen. wanting people to actually do what will work. Amen. 
Amen. So I have actually two messages. Well, I guess three since I just kind of recapped one. But I want to preach two messages at the same time. There will be like two different trains running down different tracks, but they're gonna, we're going to bring them together. All right. I want to look at some ideas because we're always going to focus in this church about helping you become established in the new covenant, helping you become established in the finished work of Jesus, putting in proper context the whole counsel of the word in light of the revelation of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to kind of, we're going to kind of run two trains here. But I, got, I have a question for you. Let me read something to you. And I want you to, you know, I want you to think for a minute. We're not going to put this passage up. But I, you know, I want your interaction after I read this because I've got a couple of questions. The first service went really well. There, was, there were actually less people, so this should be good. We'll have a little bit of inter- interaction if y'all are okay with that. So let me read this, and I'll ask you a question. <clears throat> Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come back to present your offering. Key phrase, presenting your offering at the altar. Then you remember your brother has something. Leave. So here's the picture. You're going to the altar with your sacrifice. You're going to present it, and then you remember, I've got an issue going on here. I need to go repair that, reconcile that relationship, and then go back to fulfill the offering of the sacrifice. Does, who, who said that, for one thing? Do you know who said that? I told you I'm going to make you think. I don't want to embarrass you, but I want to make you think. Who said that? Jesus. Jesus said this. What was he talking about? Pretty clear. Offerings for sin. That's why you took offerings down. There were different kinds of offerings, but he's talking about sin offering in this particular passage. So here's the question I want you to think about. Does that apply? Do those words that Jesus spoke, red letter, do they apply to you? They do? Some said yes, some said no. Think, think for a minute. Do those words apply to you? If you don't forgive others, then I won't forgive you. Okay, that's a good one. That's a different topic. That's a different, that's, that, that actually falls under the same category of where I'm going with this. So let me ask you a question. Where's your altar that you're going to carry your goat down to, to leave it at the altar, to go repair the relationship, to then come back? When was the last time you had a dove or a goat or a bull and you took it down to the temple and you laid it before the altar and the priest was about to kill it and you said, well, wait a minute, I've got a relationship issue over here I need to go fix first. I'll be back. I'm just having you think. Don't go too far ahead. I just want you to think for a minute. Does Jesus expect you to get a goat, go down to the temple, and offer it for sin? Why? Okay. 
So that's another question. Who was he talking to? He was talking to people that could look down and see the temple that this literally applied to them. So the question, does this apply to you, is twofold in its answer. Yes and no. No in that it's literally not applicable to you. In other words, if you were to go to God with a bull to sacrifice it for your sin, what would you think he would do? Would he receive it? Or would he say, oh, let me tell you about Jesus. Because he's the one-time sin offering for all the world. I know what's happening. It's like, tilt, 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 wait a minute. But Jesus said that, so it's got to apply to me. He's God. Everything he taught applies to me. Unless it changed after the resurrection. Think about it. Because this is where we're going to get down to the meat of understanding righteousness. I'm telling you, one of the biggest complaints about a strong new covenant grace focus is that we are throwing the words of Jesus away, that we're antinomialists, in other words, throwing the law away. But if you just think about it, (coughs) you are not expected to take your goat down to the priest because Jesus is your once and for all final sacrifice. Amen? Amen? See, the thing is, we have to know the new covenant. We have to know who we are under it. We have to know what Jesus accomplished in his sacrifice when we go back and we read teachings like this. Did he expect the people that he was speaking to to literally do that, leave their sacrifice at the altar, go repair the relationship, and then come back? Did he expect them to do that? Does he expect you to do that? Why? Amen. See, I could end there, and that's a huge point that we're thinking about. I don't want to go too philosophical, but I want to stick on this specific point. So now let's look at the rest of where we're going, because remember, we got two trains running here. One, we're talking about how the body of Christ can walk in love toward one another, unite in him toward the world to reach the world. But we have to know who we are in him as he prayed. He said, God, I pray that they're one with each other as I am in them and you are in me and we are together. And that's so that the world will believe. But you have to understand what it means to be one in him, which means you have to understand the completeness of the new covenant. So kind of back on this other track of rightly dividing the word, it's not that we're throwing away the words of Jesus. It's that we're putting him in proper new covenant context. Amen? You mentioned that God won't forgive you unless you forgive others. You know, that's a whole other topic, but that also falls under that old covenant because new covenant says you forgive as your Father has forgiven you. This is a big one because there are very popular ministries out there that are functioning in a deliverance ministry, and one of the things that they want you to do is forgive everybody so that God will forgive you. Well, you know what? God forgave you in Jesus. That's it. Yes, you absolutely need to repent, change your mind, turn toward him and receive the truth. 
so that you will experience that forgiveness. But God is not holding your sins against you under the new covenant, even unforgiveness. That was prophesied that that's what the new covenant would be about. And that's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. We are ambassadors of Christ here in Christ's place to go into the world and tell them God is not holding your trespasses against you. Be reconciled to God. Does that mean sin is okay? No. Does that mean God just kind of winks at sin? No. Does that mean it's okay for you to continue in sin? No. Thank you. It's shocking how some people go there with it. What we're doing is we're talking about spiritual truth. We're talking about righteousness. We're talking about a spiritual covenant that is upheld in the blood of Jesus, who he's the one that shed his blood, right? A covenant is upheld by blood. It was his blood that was shed. It's his covenant with the Father that you are a joint heir in. You are as secure with the Father as Jesus is if you're in him. Now, knowing that causes you to be able to love one another, putting our differences aside, so that the world will believe. But you've got to know who you are in Christ. You have to know the completeness and the sufficiency of his blood. I think, the, I think in general, the body of Christ is kind of starting to get there. It's not like we got it all figured out. It just, just happens to be what we focus on, right? Like, the critic of this kind of focus looks at this teaching as we would look at our rebellious teenagers. Like you look at your rebellious teenager and their mindset is, I don't have to clean my room. I don't have to cook. I don't have to work. I don't have to do what you say. I'm my own person. And the religious looks at someone who's focusing on Jesus and says, you're just rebelling. You're saying you don't have to please God. You're saying you don't have to give. You're saying you don't have to go to church. It's like, no, you're misunderstanding. I'm not functioning with God in my old carnal self. We're having a spiritual conversation, comparing spiritual with spiritual, understanding first the completeness of the finished work of Jesus, and then how we relate to that. Oh, oh wait, you want to talk about sin? Oh, well, I guess we can talk about that. I thought we were talking about Jesus. I thought we were talking about life in him and how when we yield our hearts to him and we're fueled by his grace, it transforms us and how his grace is stronger than sin. And we're not under the law. We're not under the strength of sin. We've been delivered from the power of God. I thought that's what we were talking about. You want to talk about sin? Well, all right. Well, don't do it. Amen. Amen. It kills Stop it! <laughs> Amen? Amen? So, knowing the new covenant, when we go back and we read, we have to make sure that we don't have one foot under the old and one foot in the new, especially when we're trying to communicate the gospel to others. Yeah, your righteousness is only in the blood of Jesus, but you got to do your part, you know. You have to bring holiness to fruition. Well, he's the author and finisher of my faith. Does that mean you can just continue in sin? Absolutely not. God forbid. Why do you think Paul said that? Because they were misunderstanding him just like the religious are misunderstanding the gospel today. 
It's weird to me when you talk about the finished work of Jesus that people want to talk about behavior. It, it should be an unspoken that a righteous, blood-bought, Holy Spirit-filled, under the power of grace, one entity with God, one in spirit, would even struggle with sin. Amen. But we do. So, yeah, let's deal with it. Let's clean it up. Let's run from it. Let's change our minds and stay away from it. Let's not entertain it. Let's not yield our members to its strength because we know we're under grace. We know that God, we, you, you cannot go to God and Him remind you of your sin because He already dealt with it in Jesus. And some, for some reason, automatically in some people's minds, they think that you're saying sin is okay. I don't, I don't understand that. I'll never understand that. But some of you will deal with that. Some of you either think that or you're encountering people that you're trying to communicate this good news of the gospel to, and that's where they go with it. But if you really understand sacrifice, you understand how God looks at sin. He hates it. He doesn't want you in it. So he set you free from it in the blood of Jesus. And he empowered you with his grace. And he made you one with himself. And he gave you his righteousness so that you would be, you'd be free from it. So it wouldn't have a grip on you any longer. That's how we see sin. Amen? Amen. So... Our problem, though, is because we filter God's view of ourselves through our behaviors and our performance. We filter our place in God through our own performance, through our emotions. You just do. We don't filter our self-image through Jesus. Because we feel this guilt and we feel this shame and, and that is who I am. I feel this. It's true. Well, it's your reality in that moment, but who you really are, if you were to die right now in this moment and you were to stand before the Father, what would he see? Would he see that sin or that emotion or would he see that righteous child that he bought with the blood of Jesus? Because that's who you are now even though you might still be struggling with those emotions and behaviors. And that doesn't give a license to continue in that destructiveness. Amen? Amen. So, if we're going to love one another to the degree that it's a message to the world that we're followers of Jesus, and we're going to be one body together enough so that the world will believe, we have to know who we are in Him. Right? Because that's what Jesus prayed. I pray that they're one as we're one, as I am in them and you are in me. And I will, we will come and make our habitation with them. You have to rebuild your identity, your self-image, who you are, who you think about yourself, what you allow yourself to feel and what you allow yourself to do. All has to filter through who you are in him. That sin, that emotion, that choice, that behavior, all of that stuff has to filter. Because the goal is this. 
God planted his spirit inside of you if you've said yes to Jesus, which people still have to do that. You have to be born again. But he places that spirit within you as a seed. And it forever changes the kind of being that you are. You become a new creature in him. He gives you a new heart which knows how to follow him. It knows how to live perfectly because it has the whole counsel of his word built into it. And it, it knows his voice and it naturally follows him, this new heart that you've been given. You have to actually put on a mask and be conformed to the, wor- to the world to choose sin as a righteous child of God, to choose depression, to choose lack, and I dare say to allow sickness dwell within our bodies. It's contrary to the kind of beings that we are. Amen. I mean, I, I know. It's like, okay, we're going, we're going there, are we? <laughs> but kind of a side note, when we read, when we go back and read Jesus, right? Because Jesus said something that I know you might have kicked and bucked a little bit, But we kind of all got to the point where it's like, okay, Jesus said something that doesn't literally apply to me because there is no altar for me to run down to and offer my sacrifice. So yes, Jesus said it. Yes, it's true. Yes, he meant it to those people he was teaching to. He still means it now. It's not that he doesn't mean it. It's just that we're under a different covenant. It doesn't apply to me. I wonder what else he said that fits into that category. I'll leave that up to you. When you read the Gospels, ask yourself, did the resurrection change this? You read the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, y'all. One, one person said, <laughs> y'all need to read your Bible. I'm telling you, it's a big, big deal. The body of Christ has got to wake up to the new covenant, our oneness in him, and keep it spiritual not carnal. You're always going to have the religious come beat you up with the law. The religious have always improperly used the law. Jesus got onto them over and over and over about doing that. You put a yoke of bondage on people that you yourself don't even keep. We have to understand who we are in Christ Because Jesus prayed that as we understand that and as we are one in him and we know that and we experience that, the world will believe. I mean, we're talking about the world here. We're talking about the kingdom increasing to reach the world. That's what's at stake here. Regardless of whatever your eschatology is, whatever you think is happening from here until the resurrection, the goal remains the same. The body be so united in him loving one another, that the world looks like, like Sally said, they're looking at us, they're like, I don't know if, I don't really understand all that stuff. I don't even know if I believe all that stuff, but it's obvious. Their love for one another, they follow Jesus. Those are the Jesus followers. Look how they treat each other. Look at that, look at that one's marriage. But then we unite together and they will believe. It's the only formula that he gave us to reach the world, being one. But we have to know what it means to be one. That's why I'm always going to focus on identity, always lay the foundation of Jesus 
and the finished work that he accomplished. Because when you go back and you read, you have to learn, you have to be confident that the Holy Spirit will teach you how to rightly divide the word. That you don't need me. You, you don't. The only reason we do this is for encouragement. I'm not telling you anything that the Holy Spirit hasn't already taught you. Jesus said, I have revealed everything to you that the Father revealed to me. No longer do we need each other teaching each other. You know, I'm just up here running my mouth getting you to realize, oh, yeah, I already believe that about Jesus, right? <laughs> I mean, all we're doing is talking about Scripture. I might say something to make you think about it a different way, but don't sit there and think that you've got to learn all of this stuff and figure out how to read the Bible the right way. You have the Holy Spirit. Amen. He is sufficient. Amen. Amen. Amen? It's not that hard. It's a simple question. When you read it, ask yourself, did the resurrection change this? It's easy when you're looking at it and we're talking about sacrificing goats. It's different when you're talking about forgiveness. It, it, it makes people nervous when you say that it does not apply to you when Jesus said, God won't forgive you until you forgive others. But it's the same principle. God forgiving or releasing you from your sin based on your performance or the blood of Jesus. I'm not afraid to go there in spite of the ridicule, which it comes, trust me. <laughs> because we're talking about the finished work of Christ. Amen. We're talking about the cross. We're not trying to make an excuse for sin. We're talking about the life that is in the power of the Spirit of God that is in you. Amen. So when you go back and you read things like this, and so that's kind of the first part of the message. All of that to get to where I want to talk about the Beatitudes, where Jesus talks about, you know, blessed are you if this, blessed are you if this. See, with new covenant blessing, there is no if, it's who. You're in him. You are blessed. Now, let's just look at this for a minute. Matthew 5, 17. Are you learning? Are you thinking? Are you being reminded? Are you encouraged? Yes. All of that. Matthew 5, 17. No one has thrown a rock at me yet, so, I, you know, I think we're... Matthew 5, 17. So this is Jesus. It's funny because he says this around the same area that he's talking about the law and forgiveness and your righteousness and all of it. It's interesting that he addresses this. The legalistic mindset takes this and says, you see right there, Jesus is anchoring us back into the law. You can't walk away from the law. You have to have the law in place. But a new covenant person realizes he's affirming to us that he knows we can't keep the law. In fact, the law was actually never even meant for righteousness. It says that directly. The law was not meant for righteousness. The law cannot produce righteousness. Righteousness comes one way, and that is by grace through faith. Amen. There is a faith. There is a righteousness now revealed apart from the works of the law. That is by faith. Amen. And I, I still hear it that some of you are thinking, 
Well, does that mean it's okay to sin? You've seen those memes where Batman slaps Robin? I don't want to slap you. I just want the truth to hit you and, and realize. Because here's the deal. You're sitting here and, you, you know, you're, some of you are like, yes. And some of you are learning. But you're going to go out and you're going to have conversations with people. And you're going to try and communicate some of these kinds of ideas. And they will throw it back at you that you have to preach the whole counsel of the word. Okay, let's do that. From a spiritual perspective, fully focused on the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, and the sufficiency and the depth at which it accomplished our righteousness. So he addresses it, Matthew 5, 17. So don't think I came... See, it's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And Jesus, when he would teach, it was often in response to the questions that he would get and the thoughts that people were thinking. He'd say, he said, look, I know what you're thinking. And so he'd, he'd teach. So there mu- it must have been in the mindsets of the people and what he wanted to communicate in dealing with righteousness, in dealing with sacrifice for sin, to address putting the law in proper perspective. You know, it's just when you really think about the way Jesus communicated and, and you, you grasp the perspective of the, the context of who he's talking to, it, it's, it's really, really intelligent for him to put this in there and deal with it. So, like, like that's a compliment. God is smart, you know what I mean? <laughs> Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. This is what we are preaching, the fulfillment of the law in Jesus. Amen? We're not throwing it out. We're not abolishing it. Verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest jot or tittle, letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. See, we know that the righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled in Jesus. And the handwriting of the ordinances that was against you, in other words, the things that could be held against you if you miss it, was nailed to Jesus' cross. That's Colossians 1 and Colossians 1. Anything that God could have to hold against you, according to the law, was nailed to Jesus' cross. Not the small... uh, So, verse 19. And this sounds like... This is a very serious warning, and it is a serious warning. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments. And then he's about to go on to talk about the commandment of when you take your sacrifice to the altar and then you discover in your heart that you've got an issue with your brother, go repair the issue, then come back. This is one of the commandments that he's talking about. Now, think about this for a minute. This is the warning. He says, whoever annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We're not throwing away the words of Jesus. We're just putting putting them in proper context of his death, burial, and resurrection and how righteousness comes now. Verse 20, For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Okay, let's think about that. If Jesus were standing here and he were to stand directly in front of you, is this a legal scripture to say to you? Laura, your righteousness must exceed George's or you ain't getting into heaven. Well, let's take it up to the, the standard of what righteousness really is to get into heaven. Laura, unless your righteousness is better than Jesus, you ain't getting into heaven. Okay, because this is what he's saying. He's saying if someone nullifies any of the commandments at all, even the littlest one, and their righteousness does not exceed the Pharisees, you ain't getting in. Does that apply to you? In regard to, does that, is that what qualifies whether or not you're righteous now? No. You understand that aspect of the question? Is Jesus' standard of whether or not he sees you as righteous your righteousness compared to anything else? Does, God look at, does Jesus look at your performance, your behavior, your law-keeping, whether or not you're properly teaching the commandments as the standard of whether or not you're getting into the kingdom of heaven? No. What gets you into the kingdom of heaven? You've got to be righteous. So that still applies. But how does righteousness come? Exchange through faith in what he did by, by grace through faith. Are you, are you following me? It's not that we're throwing away what Jesus said. We're not. We're just understanding which aspects have been fulfilled. It's a big deal. It's a, it's a huge game changer. When you start talking about rightly dividing the word, teaching the whole counsel of the law, yeah, but Jesus said it, it always applies. Okay, where's your goat? Where's your altar? Now, in principle, it applies. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't, you know, love keeps no record of wrongs. Absolutely, in principle, it applies to deal with issues, but not literally. God's not expecting you to go purchase a goat or a cow to deal with your sin. I mean, think about that. <laughs> I know I'm belaboring the point, but I want to because it takes some reflective time to rebuild some of these things that we've had in our thinking for a very long time. Amen. Amen. These things that have been taught improperly to us, these religious anchors that tie us back to a performance-based mentality that we don't even realize are in there. But reaching the world is at stake because if you truly understand and are experiencing your oneness with God, you have to know this. And it has to be, your, when you're standing before the Father, you have to know that God is not holding your unforgiveness of your dead mother against you. I mean, we're talking where the rubber meets the road here. There are ministries that are built on 
and, 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 the, and the, the, the exegesis is a bit fancy how they get there of, well, you see, you have, he's, he's given you spiritual forgiveness, but not forgiveness in this world. I've heard that. There's a guy, well, I don't want to go too far because it's, anyway. <laughs> Amen. Either Jesus is our righteousness, our sufficiency, or he's not. There's no mixture of both. And to teach this and to believe this and rebuild and reshape your identity is not giving excuse or license or leeway to sin. And it's not throwing away the words of Jesus. It's actually giving him proper honor for his death, burial, and resurrection and his free will offering of himself to take upon himself the wrath of God towards sin for the entire world. How dare you think that something that you've done is going to withhold the power of the blood of Jesus? Only in your heart and in your mind do you keep yourself from connecting to that. Your sin no longer separates you from God. It used to, but it doesn't anymore because sin is carnal and you're connected with God in spirit. Well, there you go again. Sounds like you're saying it's okay to sin. I know what you want to do. I know how you're hearing it. It's all right. God loves you. God has forgiven you. God's not wanting you to mess around with that stuff. There is way more grace than your desire for sin. And the fact that you struggle with it so much in your mind and worrying that people are going to enter into it tells me what's going on in your life. There's freedom from sin for you. Hello. You're worried I'm giving people a license to sin because you're struggling with sin. Get over it. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you from it, has empowered you to be free from it, and always leads you away from it. I think I'm preaching to somebody that's listening on the video because, you know, none of y'all in here are dealing with that. So let's go down to this last passage here. This is in 2 Corinthians. Well, I didn't even really deal with Matthew 5.8, which is really kind of the, the period on the end of what I wanted to talk about today. All of that... I wanted to say just so that we could read Matthew 5, 8 the right way. In other words, understanding where we are under the new covenant. Let's put up Matthew 5, 8 there. <clears throat> this is right in the middle of the Beatitudes. This is not, we've already established your righteousness is not the measurement that God uses of whether or not you're getting into heaven. We have to look at this too and realize me being blessed doesn't have anything to do with my performance because we read this, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then a little bit later on it says, your righteousness needs to be better than the Pharisees or you ain't getting in. 
And so because we are rooted in a performance mindset, we read this and we think that pure in heart means being out of sin. Well, if we really look at what the real definition of sin is, it's that it's anything that is not of faith. Do you think that there are some things you did yesterday that were not in faith toward God? You were in sin. That's the standard. So let's look at what he's actually talking about. In light of the new covenant, to these people it meant one thing, to us it means something different because the resurrection changed it. In principle, this applies, but not in law. Okay? So how can we apply this in principle? And this is a big deal when you're going and you're reading the words of Jesus is how do I apply this to my life? I first have to know who I am in him, then apply it properly. The word blessed here. The word blessed, there are two, a couple of different words for blessed. One means to confer benefits, which you have to qualify for. Under the old covenant, covenant, you had to keep the laws or keep the tenets of the covenant in order to reap the blessing or the benefits associated in that contract or that covenant. That's not the word we're talking about here. Here, the word blessed, anybody know? means happy. Well, God doesn't want you happy. God wants you joyful. He never promised you. You ever heard that sermon? You're not supposed to be happy. Doesn't matter if you're happy. There's joy. This means happy. Say happy. happy. Go look it up. I'm telling you. There are original language tools. You can go look it up. This word means happy. God wants you happy. The way you experience happiness is when your heart is pure. What does pure mean? For us, a pure heart, yes, it could mean sin-free, but the context of the purity of our heart is not performance-based. It's what is the focus of our heart. What are we allowing to grow in our hearts? What is it that we're nurturing? What are we, foc- what are we thinking on? And if you're allowing sin to have root within you, it's going to distract your heart. It might make your heart dirty. Does that mean you lose your salvation? No. Does that mean you lose some righteousness? No. All of that stuff is in Jesus. We're just talking about your heart being clean, being free from distraction. Yes, free from sin, but free from guilt and shame and and, and worry and strife and carnal thinking. And the word see is an interesting word. It doesn't just mean to casually look. You know, it's like, oh, I see Kristen there. That's not what it's talking. It's not like I'm going to see what God wants me to do. The word see here, it's kind of technical. It's like a prolonged middle voice word of look, and it means to gaze upon. It means to have your full vision filled with. It means to be interacting with. It means to experience or perceive Him. For us, what this is saying is when your heart is distraction-free, and that's the work that we are to do, is to labor to enter into the rest of distraction-free. Absolutely, if you've got sin in your life, get rid of it. There's grace to do so. Let go of that worry. Cast your cares on Him, for He cares for you. Reaffirm to yourself that He is your Father. He is your provision. Get your heart clean. 
not through performance, but through belief. Am I in faith toward him? And when you do that, you will experience God. And when you experience God, as he, Jesus said in John 17 when he first starts to pray, to know God, it's a similar word here, to experience God is eternal life. There are areas where you're not experiencing life. And it's probably the areas where you think you have failed. But there's good news. God's not holding that against you because of the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. That does not give you an excuse to continue in destruction. It should be the freedom that compels you to access His grace, to keep your heart clean and faith toward Him, because when you do, you will experience God. Amen? Amen. All those areas where you're disappointed because you're not experiencing God or those areas of your heart where there are more things in there growing than your faith toward Him. And I'm not saying faith moves him and makes things happen. I'm talking about faith in light of trust, where you're dependent upon him, where you're resting in his completeness so that his life is produced in you. We're comparing spiritual things to spiritual. And when you do that, it will produce such a love out of you for your brother and sister in Christ And then as we love one another, we will love the world and the world will believe. Getting the right president in office is not what's going to finally get us to a place where we can reach the world. Getting Russia behaving is not what's going to get them to open their doors. It's the believers in Russia learning to love one another. Amen. You know, let go of the mindset. Can I just preach for just a minute? We have kind of been sold this, this uh, uh, American dream version of revival. <clears throat> Don't let yourself be pressured by this thing of we're going to take nations in a day and cities in a moment and we're going to take the nations. It's like, okay, well, let's take nations. But you don't have to jump on a plane and run over somewhere and carry guilt because you're not doing enough. It starts in the mirror, affirming to yourself who you are in him till you are so overwhelmed by his love for you that you cannot help but love your spouse and your children and your siblings and your parents and your boss and your coworkers and the people at the restaurant and the people at the DMV And then maybe that turns into. (laughs) And and then maybe that turns into we invite some people over for dinner and then more people come and we start a congregation and then we're sowing into it and we're sending people out. I don't know. You know, where does it start? It starts in the mirror, knowing God's love for you. That's what you got to be committed to. If you want to fulfill your call, Let yourself be moved by God's love for you. You can't stop that. I'm telling you. I am telling you the truth. All those areas where you're failing and you think that you're missing it and you're not walking out what you think you're supposed to do, give those areas to the Lord and let yourself be consumed by His love for you and it will change. It will just move you. You can't stop 
Quit beating yourself up. You can't do it in your own strength anyway. Amen. 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 Did I make you think? Yeah. Father, we thank you for your life. Thank you for your spirit. Jesus, we give you full credit for our salvation. We give you full credit for our righteousness that you have given us. You get all the glory for us being the righteousness of God in Jesus. Thank you for fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law so I could be connected to God so that I would have a hope of living above the power of sin so that this world can't bring me down. God, I am committed to being yielded to you, the transformative grace, the transformative power of your spirit, which teaches me to live godly. So yes, I don't let my heart become overcharged or distracted because I want your love so oozing out of me that it ultimately causes the world to believe. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being my teacher. I depend on you to work these things out in my thinking and in my heart. Teach me, Lord. I make myself teachable to you. I want to properly understand Jesus and his finished work. And as Paul said, I only want to know Jesus and him crucified. Amen.